If you own a small business and you might be looking to sell, you could run into some major issues. Forbes estimates that 9 out of 10 businesses listed never actually sell. Why? Because there's only one way to sell. You need to do these four steps first. So if you want to be a part of the 10% of businesses that sell for profits, we've created a free checklist for you so you can sell without those hurdles that normally hold you back. Download the free checklist by visiting www.abundantculture.co forward slash checklist. Welcome back to the Abundant Culture Podcast, where business owners like you come to learn how to grow the valuation of their companies so they can sell in the future. On this show, you'll learn how to sell for top dollar and invest in profitable businesses around the country. Now, here are your hosts, Jazz and Joe. Hey, it's Joe here. Welcome back to the Abundant Culture Podcast. We're so glad to have you back again this week. As a business owner, it's super important that you know how to grow and scale your business. But I think it's even more important that you know how to hire people who can help you grow and scale your business. And today we're interviewing somebody who has done just that because he can now generate revenue in his business without necessarily having to be there on a day-to-day basis or focus on the day-to-day tasks. So we're going to listen to his story and his strategies on how he was able to hire a team that can scale revenue. So get ready to listen to and learn from our good friend, Adrian Chabot. Hi, Adrian, and thank you again for coming on to the Abundant Culture Podcast. We're super excited to have you today because this is not your first time on the podcast, and you shared a wealth of knowledge before, so I know you're going to bring it again. But before we get into the meat and potatoes of the episode, I have to ask you, what is your backstory? Like, tell us the the journey of your business, because we interviewed you, I think that was like episode 23, so that was so long ago. Go. So give the audience a refresher. Cool. Uh, thanks again for having me. It's exciting to be on. I definitely love sharing about the journey that we've been on, what we've learned, the good, the bad, the ugly. And um, a lot of the success I have is from listening to podcasts and learning from other people's mistakes. And I realize I'm not smart enough to create the wheel. So why try to do that? But um, my background, I graduated with a master's in biology, worked at a genetics lab for a couple of years, decided that wasn't the route for me. Then I did insurance sales for eight years, door-to-door straight commission. Uh, That was good for a season in life. And then I got into real estate 2015, um, started a flipping company, uh, flipping wholesaling. Uh, Grew that from about 30 houses my first year to um, our biggest year. We did 120 houses. Last year with COVID, uh, we hit 80 houses, um, a little bit less than we wanted to, but not bad relative to everything that was going on. So um, that company is going well. Uh, I'm not really involved in it uh, in the day-to-day grind anymore. Uh, We've spent a lot of time and we'll talk about it, a lot of time in in grinding, putting together systems and processes to make it run smoothly. I got a crazy idea in December, um, right after we put a a commercial property on our contract that we're going to move the flipping company into. Um, It's 8,000 square feet, half of it's rented to the government. We were going to take a quarter of it. And then the other quarter, we're like, well, what do we do with it? And I had the brilliant idea of opening up a real estate brokerage with a property management company. We started that officially February 1st. We have 15 owners that we manage for, 50 doors. And 
It's been fun. That is absolutely awesome. Yeah. Congratulations on that again, especially because like you're only 30 days into the company and you already have 50 doors. That's pretty impressive, I think. It's just the network and relationships over there. I mean, most successful businesses are successful because of who they're around and their network and the community and if you do good things and you're going to get good referrals. Absolutely. So I'm curious as to how you built the flipping, the house flipping company up to the point where you're not necessarily too involved in the day to day because our audience that we're uh, trying to uh, speak to and really teach is, you know, business owners. And some of them are in that situation where they are Uh, really, really involved in day to day. So how do you really bring yourself from kind of being this self-employed business owners with uh, maybe a couple employees to basically being a true business owner where you're driving sales, even if you're not in, you know, in the office on a day-to-day basis. And, And that's a great question. And I actually thought of you guys about a month ago when I was at a mastermind in Key West. Uh, one of the speakers at the mastermind asked, are you building a business that you can sell or are you building a business just because it's what you like to do and it's a job? Um, And I thought about you guys because we've talked about buying and selling different businesses and the biggest handicap that gets in the way of of at least me buying a business and and probably you guys too is the owner is way too involved. I don't need another business where I got to jump in and do 100% of everything other than the one that I just started. If I want to buy a business, I, don't, I want to buy a turnkey business that has the people in place and it needs my expertise in marketing and systems and all that to make it more efficient. But I don't want to have to jump in as an owner and get my hands dirty and do stuff. So for me personally, when I got into real estate, I did not have the vision that I have now. For me, it was something I enjoyed to do. I made good money at it. Um, But I knew from my insurance company that for me to grow beyond what I could do by myself, I had to at least bring on employees. Um, And that's when I, instead of hiring someone, I partnered with another guy. And then we started going to different masterminds. Our idea of a mastermind was to find out about tools and different things that could help us make more money and be more profitable. But a lot of the tools and, and people that we met and business coaching that we went through was all about putting in systems in place to to make things more efficient, but also to replace you. So I guess if you're in business by yourself right now, where you have two or three employees, probably the first thing you need to do to make it a business where it doesn't control you. And it's actually a legitimate business where, you know, one one of my goals in life, and I'm not there yet, I'd love to go on vacation and not worry about my phone or my computer. And that's not possible right now, but we're getting there. Um, So I guess the biggest thing is you got to have that desire and you have to have that vision and then build your business around, you know, getting in the right people that can run the business where you maybe need to just run a two hour meeting on a Monday and that's all you have to do. That's awesome. So one of the questions that uh, that kind of brings up for me is when you're hiring people, what are some of those characteristics that you're looking for in hiring someone into your business who's going to have a key role in replacing something that you used to have to do a lot and really delegating that responsibility to them. Because I think I'm always curious to know, is it mostly a personality thing? Is it a skill thing? Is it a little bit of both? Uh, What are those things Um, that you look for? I'm going to give you a very long answer to that question because it's, there's a lot that goes into it. 
and, and, and I know in some of the prep questions you asked me, what were some of my biggest mistakes in business? Um, I'm going to share one now. I hired people at times because I liked them and I created roles for them. Now, the problem with that is those roles weren't very well defined. It was just kind of, hey, let's do this. And we kind of adapted. Most people need structure. So those positions fell apart because they didn't have clearly defined roles. They didn't have a clearly defined, when I come in every day, here's my objective. Here's how I'm helping the company. But because I met them, I felt bad for their situation. I brought them in. So so that's one of the um, big mistakes I had was just not having a clear, precise role for someone. So 2018, I, I reluctantly brought in I don't know, I would call him a business coach. This person did the, the EOS traction uh, coaching. And I said reluctantly because it was $15,000. Um, and I felt we were doing well at the time. We were making good money. Um, the problem is Justin and I was my business partner. We had one employee. We were doing everything all the time. So one of the things that he had us do before he came in is he had us basically jot down all of the different roles in the business. You know, So for me, my flipping company, Someone's doing the marketing. Someone is doing acquisitions, going to the houses, making the offers. Someone's doing, you know, when we got a house under contract, they're doing the transactional coordination, you know, getting everything with the title company. Once we buy the house, someone's doing the project management, um, setting up insurance, utilities, talking with vendors, contractors, doing all that. And then when we go to sell the house, we have dispositions. So someone was doing sales. And then we had someone doing bookkeeping. So those are all the different roles that we did. So we, we put had columns for all the different roles, put all the different tasks that fit under those roles. And then what he had us do is he had us initial which one of us was doing each of those different roles. Mm-hmm. So we had five positions. I was in all five boxes. Wow. Everything. So I did, I did everything. Justin was in four of the five boxes. He didn't do a whole lot with marketing, didn't do a whole lot with the account or bookkeeping. So then we did some different personality tests, the disc profile, stuff like that. And basically the guy's like, you know, your operators up here, visionary, integrator, and then these are your five roles. You each pick a role that you're good at and you like, and that's all you're going to do. And then the ones that we didn't like or we weren't good at, we hired people for them. So we had those roles specifically, you know, this person, like the one, the first role we hired was someone to deal with our income and costs. You know, I'm very low. Are you guys familiar with the disc profile? Vaguely. I think I, we like learned about it a tiny bit, like a couple of months ago, it, but not super familiar. It, it, every business should do it for all their employees. Jess and I butted heads all the time on stuff. And it wasn't that either of us were right or wrong. We just had different expectations. And those expectations were based on being very different on that profile. So one of the, the S score is how you process information. For me, I have a high S. I'm the type when I'm going to buy something or go on a vacation to a resort, I'm looking at all the reviews, I'm reading stuff, I'm analyzing it. You know, same with a restaurant. Justin's like, just pick a restaurant, food's food. So, so when we had a task, he already expected that task to be done. I'm like, I need to process it, do more research, all that. So it just took a lot longer. Once we understood how it worked, we never clash anymore. Um, in fact, we're actually more efficient together. Um, so one of the roles that we have is someone that deals with our income and costs. You know, I don't enjoy that. I can do it temporarily. So I hired someone and this goes to the hiring thing. You know, all of our interviews, we use wise hire and that they syndicate the, the job posting to indeed and monster and those other sites. Part of the application when they come back and submitting the resume is to do the disc profile. So oh, I can wow. look at the profile and I can have 
it, it isn't a hundred percent, but I can look at that position and be like, look, this position, you're going to be in front of a lot of people. The I score is how much, how people relate to people, you know, a high I, they're going to be very extroverted, energetic. They like crowds. They like talking a low I like me. I'm a seven. That's like your introvert. I can work by myself all day and be happy. Mm -hmm. Now I can modify and I have no issue talking in front of big groups, but when I'm in a big group, if I went to a networking event and I wasn't a speaker and people didn't come up to me, I'm not naturally going to go up to other people. I just don't like doing it. Yeah. Um, but I can have a conversation with people one-on-one, no big deal. So for that position where I knew she was going to be dealing with people on the phone all the time, I got someone that had a high ice. The S and the C, C is like how well they follow processes. You know, we have a very systematic process on how to deal with the incoming calls, you know, walk them through the script, put them into different boxes, buyer, seller, non-buyer, whatever. She has a high C score, so she follows the protocol. I made a mistake and hired someone that had a little low C score. And I had this four-paged A, B, C, D, this is how you do it. And they never followed it. it drove me crazy. Wow. Now, that person wasn't a bad person. It just that position where I needed them to follow the process step-by-step step wasn't a good position. So when it comes to hiring, one, they got to be a fit for the position. The position has to be clearly defined with clear expectations. Um, and then we also have core values. You know, So the core values for my company dominate, meaning we're going to crush our competition. Um, we're going to put in the extra hours, the extra education. I'm not going to hire a B player anymore. I'm only hiring C or A talent. Um, that's our biggest core value. Our second core value is integrity. Um, for me, you know, when flipping houses, I know tons of investors that take shortcuts in houses. They'll paint over mold. They'll do whatever. Oh, wow. I'm going out of my way to make sure a house is done right, even if it costs me more money and I make less. I've lost money on houses because we did the right thing, but I don't care because I can sleep at right knowing that we have a good product. Yeah. Um, I need to hire someone that has that same value. And then our final uh, uh, core value is giving back. You know, Our company gives back to the community. We donate a ton of money to local charities. We, you know, the, the monthly investor group we did was our way of giving back. So those are our three core values. The person I'm hiring, they have to meet those three core values. If I feel like they have integrity issues or they're not an A player or they're kind of selfish and they're not gonna give back, whether it's time, money, or whatever, they're not gonna they're not gonna fit our culture. Mm -hmm. On top of that, the other things I'm looking for, other than meeting the job criteria, someone who has a positive attitude. Um, and it's really just fun to be around because yeah. I get to be around them. All. So <laughs> yeah. the negative yeah. attitude that drains on everything. Yeah, that's super important. Well, you guys is I remember we met with uh, Justin a couple years ago, and he said that you guys were like doing keto, or maybe he was just doing keto, and everybody was like trying I to cover up because that. <laughs> COVID so wasn't like, good. It, it sounds like really fun. Like you guys have a really fun uh, atmosphere. Well, it's it's all culture. I mean. People don't, and I've learned this from being at, you know, when I worked at the university, while I liked it, the money was never an issue. Once the culture changed there and I didn't like it, um, you know, some background there, when I started, it was me and two other people and I did everything. I had ownership in projects and I loved it. As we grew and grew and grew because I was the lab manager, I had to help out lots of different people to make sure they hit their deadlines. So I'm working on this person's project and this person's project and this, and I had no ownership in it. Um, hmm. And that's when the dissatisfaction started. And then I started to focus on the money. You know, I worked there three years and money was never an issue. But then when I left, I told them money is the issue. 
And then when I got into real estate, I looked at another big company in the area that was flipping houses and a lot of employees. And I knew what they were paying these employees. And it was pennies on the dollar, you know, 25, 30 grand to be helping them make millions. And I'm like, why do these people stay? Well, it's because of the culture. You know, they're getting something in return from that, whether it's the environment, learning about whatever it is, they're getting something where the money doesn't matter. So I take care of my employees. We pay them well, but it doesn't matter what you pay them. If they don't like the culture or something, they're just going to go chase the next thing. So the culture is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is huge. So a question I wanted to ask based on kind of like the hiring is when you guys do hire for like the different roles, let's say, for example, we're talking specifically about the sales role. Are you hiring someone that already has experience with sales or are you like building them up? Um, That's a great question. And that's a tough one to answer. Um, when I was in insurance, I did a lot of recruiting. And I always had um, salespeople come to me, especially insurance guys, you know, so some insurance guy, 50 years old, been in insurance for 30 years, every three years, he's at a new company. So when I first started doing that, I'm like, oh, he's already licensed, so I can skip that and get him in training right away and on the field. But then I realized if he's been doing this for 30 years and he's bouncing around, the issue isn't necessarily what he's doing or the fact that he has sales is probably something along with him and he just sucks at it. So there's always that, can you train an old dog new trick sort of thing? Or have they been doing so many bad habits, bad attitude, whatever, long enough where they're not going to change? Um, and, and then, you know, they may do well initially, but once the honeymoon's over, they're going to be back to their old character and they're going to be gone in a year or two anyway. In my opinion, everybody is a salesperson um, because basically sales is just convincing someone to make a decision. So you know, my wife will say she hates sales and she's going to get on me if she ever listens, but she's a great salesperson. I mean, how many times do I let her buy something at Target that I don't think she needs because she does a good job justifying why she needs it? Kids are great salespeople. Yeah. So, you know, you'll talk to someone, oh, I hate sales. Well, we're doing sales all the time. So Absolutely. sales is basically just asking people the right questions, shutting up and letting them talk. So In my opinion, I don't care about sales experience anymore because I think that is super, super trainable. I want someone that has a a strong work ethic and a a good attitude because a a lot of sales, you've probably heard, be funny, make money. It doesn't matter what you're selling. If you're boring and analytical and a a big talker, you're not going to sell. But if you can be a little bit funny, break the mood, build rapport with people, and then you ask them the right questions to figure out what their pain is, and then present solutions to solve their, their pain at a reasonable price that seems fair to them. That's all sales is. Absolutely. So I think it can be trained. For sure. I agree. And along with sales, you also have marketing in any company, just getting the leads through the door. What are some of the tactics that you use in either your flipping company or even the property management to really get those leads in the door and, and to get your name and your brand out there in front of people? So when it comes to marketing, in my opinion, there's two forms of marketing and I'm by far not a marketing expert. Um, I've tried a lot of things that didn't work and I've tried things that did work. You know, I've been on different forums for investors like me and they say, hey, do A, B and C. I try it. It works. Then I tweak it, make it a little bit better. In my opinion, and this is what I did when I got started, there's passive marketing. That's just building your brand, brand recognition. When I started, I was one person, 
nobody in the industry going against a huge company with 35 employees buying 300 houses a year. So I knew the only way to get ahead of them was to build a local brand. And I knew it would take a couple of years, but if you drive around town or you go to a restaurant and you look at billboards, um, there's this one particular insurance guy that sells Medicare supplements that you'll notice him now because his name's Fred. He's in like every restaurant place, Matt. He's on like every billboard. He's in the, the Val pack. I mean, he's all over the place. Yeah. Um, and that just, it's brand recognition. So that was the first thing I did. I'm like, I'm getting in the restaurants. I'm get, I did a billboard that was a waste of money. We did the logos on the vehicles. Like, I just want to put my logo out there. So when people see it and then they get our targeted marketing, they're like, oh, I've already seen that company. They're a legit company. Um, so I did a lot just to brand. We sponsored local school events all the time. And they didn't cost, you know, 500 bucks to have your ad on their billboard uh, during a football game or something like that. Um, my kids' school, they just did, they're doing an auction in a month. We're a sponsor for that. So I have a banner outside that every day for pickup, parents are going to see that banner. Yeah. Um, so that, that was just more branding mark. I just want people to know, you know, get involved with a chamber, your rotary, a B&I club, just something. So people in your community see your brand, see your logo. And then, um, and that any business can do. And then when it comes to active marketing, the biggest thing for there is you got to market to the people that are going to respond. So, so for me, I know that I need to market to a certain age group um, in cities that I want to be. And I, and, and um, I'm also marketing the people who've owned the house a certain number of years, you know, for me to spend money on marketing to someone that just bought a house, chances are they have no desire to sell it to me. Yeah. Or if they did have the desire, they probably don't have the equity and the ability to sell it to me at a price that makes sense for me. Right. Um, so, so we pick our target that we want. And at first I was very, very specific. As we got bigger, we brought in who we were marketing to. We picked our marketing channels that we wanted to use. For us, direct mail works, pay-per-click works. Those are usually the two big ones. And then we just do it, and we do it consistently. And then we track the numbers consistently so we can make tweaks. Hey, let's fix this. That didn't work. Let's turn that up, turn that down. And, and I think that's really awesome too, because, and I can vouch for you guys just doing the passive uh, brand marketing too, because mm-hmm. after learning about your company, I think I seen you guys on a sign, like kind of like where they put the football score yeah. at um, Lake Central High School yep. one year. And then I saw you guys on a placemat at another uh, couple restaurants, actually. So once I knew who you guys were, I was just start seeing your logos uh, pretty much everywhere. And I Mm -hmm. think that's really effective because subconsciously you're going to recognize that. And I think people are more likely to do business with something that they recognize as opposed to something that's just totally new for them. And and we did it, you know, at first I'm like, I just want to get the name out there. You know, like the restaurant placemats, it was like four grand a year to be in 15 restaurants. Um, So I'm like, if we get one house that more than covers the cost there, but think about it. If, if they get a postcard from us and they're like, man, this guy's sending me a postcard. He wants to buy my house. That seems kind of weird. But then that night they go to the football game and they see our logo up there that instantaneously gives us credibility. Right. Yeah. Or they get the postcard and then they go to the restaurant or or now they see our vehicle or I did it for about six months and actually was really good until COVID hit. 
and, and I had to think about it first because at first I'm like, I'm not sure I want to do that. But I got called by uh, the Catholic churches in the area. They sell ad space in their bulletins. And I was oh, like, well, cool. I is that like that. where Jesus turned the tables over on the people in the church? Um, it was like, whatever, that's not my place. Um, so we, we got in like a dozen Catholic churches. Now, who oh, wow. goes to Mass on Saturdays and Sundays? Wow. It's, it's, it's old people for the most part. Yeah. And old people's a big target of mine. So they get my postcard. They go to Mass and they're bored and flipping through the, the bulletin or whatever you call it. And then they see my ad in that. So right there, that gives us, us credibility versus someone that went to a guru show and bought a list and is sending out postcards for the first time. For sure. So that makes sense. When it, when it comes to marketing, I mean, the biggest thing, every business is going to have different niches that they, you know, whatever, they're going to have a different target. Um, and if you're in business, you should know what your target is, what your avatar is. Yeah. So I do this every year and we don't do it as much anymore because it hasn't changed. But we went through... We did this probably two years ago was the last time we did. We went through like the 120 houses we bought and we looked at the seller. We male, female, Caucasian, African-American, Mexican, age range, or were they 40, 50, 60, single, married? And what we were able to realize is they're a certain age and, and criteria. So for us, it's mostly people 45 and older that are calling. So it doesn't make any sense for me to spend money on marketing to someone 23. That's not my avenue. Right. Now, if you're selling shoes or iPhone covers or apps or whatever, yeah, that probably is, is going to be your, your avenue. Right. I also broke down the marketing for mail and internet. And, and I looked at like price points of the houses we're buying. And I realized that up to a certain point, direct mail doesn't work in the higher end houses. It's great for houses that were 150,000 less. Above the 150, all of those leads for the most part came through the internet because they're, I don't want to say more sophisticated, but they're maybe more skeptical. Uh, yeah. So they're going to go do research first and go to the Better Business Bureau and read about us, go to our website, go to Facebook, read all the reviews first, and then contact us. We track every call that comes in. You know, is it a lead or not a lead? What source it's from? How many appointments we get from that? So at the end of the day, I can tell you, and, and this is, um, and I don't know if we're going down the trail you want to go down, but you know, in a year, if I want to have this much in sales, I break it down into steps. Well, how many appointments do I have to go on? And based on my closing percentage, if I go on this many appointments, I'll have this many sales. So I work backwards to hit my financial goals. I need a hundred houses to buy a hundred houses. Each house I look at or each house that I get, I need to make four offers. So to make four offers, I need to look at six houses to look at six houses. I need to have 15 people call in to get 15 people to call in. I need to do X amount of mail, X amount of marketing. Um, and it works. So it's all backwards. And then I track it to make sure if the numbers have changed. or, or Yeah. And I, I a lot of people that's... don't like tracking numbers Yeah, and it's tedious, but if you're in business and you're not tracking numbers, you're leaving money on the table. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's something that, you know, we just learned too. And uh, we're starting to get a lot better at tracking numbers and not only just tracking numbers, but tracking them, you know, back for like the past two or three years. Uh, because what we realized is that, you know, the you can look at your PL for the last month or the last couple months and you can see where you're at. But how does that compare to like last year or last quarter right. or the last <laughs> two years? And after realizing how inefficient we were because we weren't necessarily uh, tracking the trends, it pretty much made me obsess of, you know, writing down every single 
KPI that we should be tracking. And now we're looking for softwares that actually make it easiest, uh, easy for us to track that and uh, track it over time and really just chart it out. Yeah. So I think the, that's super. The problem important. is so many business owners are willing to spend thousands of dollars on marketing to get leads in, but then they don't track it from there. So it's like right. you're, you're losing money's falling through. I mean, there's two ways to make money in a business. I mean, at the end of the day, all we care about is the netting. Yeah. You know, a lot of people brag. And I've talked to, I've been in real estate masterminds where people are like, I did 2.7 million last year. Yeah. Okay. That's great. What was your net income? <laughs> well, we made 200 grand. I'm like, okay, cool. I made more than you net and I did less. So there's two ways that your net increases, increase revenue, decrease expenses. Right. So all the KPIs that we tracked relate to one of them. It's kind of funny that we're talking about it. Uh, in the management company, I added a new expense called stupid crap I pay for owners for. Um, <laughs> because I'll give you an example. Uh, this this owner, and if he's listening to it, I'm eating this for you. That's what I call <laughs> it. Uh, stupid crap I'm eating for owners. Oh, okay. Um, so, so. And it was our mistake, which is why I'm eating it. We asked this owner, my leasing agent, hey, should we change your locks? You just bought the house. It had been a rental for years. He's like, no, I don't want to pay for someone to change the locks. Well, when I found out, I was like, no, I'm changing the locks because I'm not putting our tenant into it, who's a single mom, into a house that who knows how many people have keys. So I got my handyman there. We changed the locks. And he banged me for 120 bucks to change the locks. And I'm like, there's no way I can pass that expense on to the owner after he already said he didn't do it. 120 bucks for a lock change is stupid too, but that's a whole nother issue. <laughs> so I'm paying, and, you know, as property management, you know, we manage the properties, we collect their rent out of the rent. We collect, we pay the expenses for the property. The owner gets the difference. I can't charge that owner 120 when he already said not to do it. So that's going to be in a category that I'm going to cover. But that, that expense comes out of my net profit at the end of the year. So yeah. I'm tracking that crap I'm eating for owner category because at the end of the day, those are uh, that category is only going to grow if we're not doing things correctly. Either we're right. not being proactive to get ahead of expenses or there's miscommunication or there's something. So I'm going to look at that category every month, every quarter. And really track that because that's going to be, that could be a little tiny hole in the business where net profit is sinking out based on small, poor decision. You know, absolutely. 120 bucks isn't going to make or break my life, but you make that mistake two, three, four times a month and that adds up. Oh yeah. Yeah. It does begin to add up. (laughs) Yep. And that turnover. Yeah. That'll definitely add up. (laughs) So what are, I'm curious to know, like, since you just started up this new business, what were some of the challenges that you guys have faced over like the last 30 days with starting it up? (sighs) We're dealing with a lot more people. I mean, we took over. So when I'm flipping houses, I'm dealing with a seller and then I'm dealing with contractors and you're dealing with houses and material and houses and material, they don't yell at you. Yeah. Um, now I'm dealing with owners and I'm dealing with tenants. And if you go back and you review the weather forecast from when we picked it up February 1st, oh. we've had a ton of snow and two weeks of sub-zero temperatures. Mm-hmm. So day one, I'm dealing with frozen and broken pipes, furnaces not going out. I had a tenant call and yell at me because he wants us to send a maintenance guy to remove icicles hanging from his porch. He felt they were too long. So those were just some of the issues. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm doing 16 hour days right now. I'm dealing with new software that I'm not familiar with. One of the things that in the flipping business, 
it was painful, but all of those, you know, once we categorized those five positions and we broke down those positions into what they do, each of those actions, we process map. Meaning, you know, if, if we got to market a house that we're selling, here's the websites we're going to do. Here's how you do it on the websites. I did, I basically made all these recipes. Here's step-by-step-by-step by step by step how to do it. I took videos of me how, how to do it. I mean, that, that business is so process mapped. We could literally hire monkeys that could follow instructions and they can run it. And that's why I don't have to be there. Um, awesome. Because we, so the challenge with the management company now is I have all these lists of things that we need to process map. And none of it's done yet, which is one of those things. And I'm the type of personality where it's like, I need to have everything ready and then I'm going to roll it out. But the challenge with that is I'm never going to feel ready. And I know plenty of people that run half-assed businesses and they're doing okay. So it's like, <laughs> let's just do it. I'm going to be vulnerable with the, with the owners. Like, look, I'm, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to be, you know, upfront and, and honest. But let's do it. Let's learn from our mistakes. We process map two or three processes a week. And over time, we're just, we'll get to the point where it runs very effectively without me putting in 16-hour days. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what these bags are here. <laughs> I've been here since 5 a.m. today. So. Absolutely, for sure. So with all of that being said, what is a number one takeaway that you think somebody should get from listening to this podcast episode? Number one takeaway, I'm looking at the notes from probably the biggest thing, if you look back at COVID that kind of affected us is we just lost our vision. You know, so many businesses start business because someone says, hey, you're good at this, you go do that or they like that and they just kind of do it and they don't have a vision, you know, where yeah. do you want to be in three, five, 10 years? You know, if I didn't have a vision for the management company, there's no way I would have persisted through the, the last three weeks. It's been painful. Um, I've collected $700 in management fees this month. So, you know, I'm putting in stupid hours. I'm dealing with all these problems. I got tenants yelling at me and this and that. The only way that I can endure that put in the work and time and effort, pain, sweat, sacrificing family time is because my vision's here and what that's going to do for me and my family is greater than the temporary pain that I'm in now. So most people that run businesses, they, a lot of people just accidentally start businesses. Um, You know, they started doing something out of their garage, it grew and grew and grew and then, and they just do it. So, you know, but have a vision. Where do you want to be in five to 10 years? professionally, socially, spiritually? Do you want to sell it? Do you want to give it to your kids? Because whatever your exit strategy is, is going to have different things that you need to set up today to make that smoother down the road. I mean, think about all the businesses that you look at, if they actually plan to sell the business five, 10 years ago, and you could just walk in and look at good financials that were legitimate, see key people in place, it'd make our life so much easier. And how much more money would you pay for those businesses? A lot more. Right. I'll probably I'll probably have a portfolio of twenty of them right now right. as we speak. Yeah, that, that's a big thing. Have a vision. There's something something that you can look for that gets you through the day to day grind. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect I totally takeaway. Agree. So, since you're on the Abundant Culture podcast, we have to ask you this very question, and the question is, how do you spread abundance? I'm probably very generous with my time. Um, I like teaching. That's why I did the monthly real estate group before COVID yep. shut that down. So I'm I'm totally fine with someone calling me, asking me questions about, hey, I'm looking at this rental, help me with the numbers or 
someone brings coffee in and they want to talk about their business they want to start or, or, or their flip. So that's, that's how we spread abundance here. We're going to, one of the things we do for the brokerage, I don't know what I'm going to call it. Like I'm going to have like a Friday happy. Oh, so cool. From like two to four. And I don't know if I'll do it weekly, monthly, bi-weekly, whatever, but from two to four, it's going to be an open door. Come on in. We can talk flipping, rentals, list brokerage stuff, management stuff, Bitcoin. I mean, whatever. It's just going to be <laughs> bring a drink, bring a snack. Let's talk. Just my way of giving back. That sounds so fun. Yeah, it does. We're going to come. Yeah. <laughs> we, have, we have to come out. Yeah, we will. Yeah. You wanted me to ask someone? Okay. Sure. <laughs> this is the hardest part about having a podcast where it's both of us you think the other person's gonna ask a question and they don't but the last question we have to ask is if somebody wants to work with you or your team maybe they want to sell a house uh maybe they want to learn a little bit more about real estate um they want to work with you some type of way how would they get into contact with either you or your team uh the best way to get a hold of me is through email and it's Adrian. A-D-R-I-E-N at listingleadersprestige.com. I'm one of those folks. I hate notifications on my phone. Uh, and it was funny. Someone in the man, a management, Facebook management group that I'm in asked a question about how they do with emails. And people are showing like screenshots of their inboxes with 86,000 mail. It's crazy. Lines, yeah, that's annoying, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I couldn't do it. Nope. I only have six, six messages unread. And then 14 texts. So what I do when I get an email is if I, I respond right away, I'm either deleting it, putting it in its folder that needs to go, or if I know I need to get back to it, um, like with the questions you sent, I left that email open unread because I saw that notification that bothers things like voicemails and texts. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So email is by far the best way to make sure I get a response. For sure. That is so me. Like I have to have like things unread or I'm going to forget about it. And I also don't have a whole bunch of unread texts or emails. It just really bothers me. So I'm like like, 14,000 texts that were unread and like, you might as well just delete your texting app if you're not going to use it. (laughs) Right. Right. So thank you again so much for coming onto the podcast. This was so fun and such a great conversation. And I think the listener learned so much. I mean, even I learned something. So thank you again, Adrian. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Abundant Culture Podcast with Jazz and Joe. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave an honest rating and review. And remember, we're ready to buy your business. So if you're ready to sell or passively invest in other small businesses, go to AbundantCulture.co for more information. We publish episodes every Friday, so we'll see you next week.